Welcome today to Arise Baptist Church. I just want to remind you of something this morning. God is still good. He's still good. He didn't stop being good uh, during all this time, and uh, He won't stop being good tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. God is good all the time. Whether you're sitting here in this room or whether you're watching online from somewhere this morning, uh, no doubt over the last few weeks, months, perhaps, you've faced some struggle, some uncertainty, some doubt, perhaps some fear along the way. You've had to make some hard decisions, perhaps, and go through some experiences that you would have rather not gone through this year. And yet God is still good. God is still taking care of us. God is still providing for our needs. I think we've been reminded that during this time, more than ever, even though this is true all the time, that we can truly do nothing without Him, that He is our strength, that He is our hope, that He is the reason that we can get up and do anything that we do on any given day. He's the reason that we have joy. He's the reason that we have happiness. He's the reason that we have eternal life. And we have so much to be thankful for, and I'm thankful to be able to gather with many of you today and many more over the coming weeks as things, Lord willing, continue to move back towards health and safety and more folks are able to be out and about. I am thankful that we worship a God who is good all the time. I hope that you're staying humble before Him. Uh, clearly, during this time, God has humbled a lot of people and a lot of folks in their situation. God, the Bible says very clearly that God resisteth the proud, but He giveth grace unto the humble. We have a lot of people and a lot of places around our world. Unfortunately, even in our churches many times where we are governed by pride. We live according to what we want, trying to get our way and take care of ourselves, putting ourselves first. And that is not God's way. I'm thankful for the example of Jesus Christ the Bible says it this way in Philippians chapter 2, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We serve a good God. He is always good. And may we stay humble before him as maybe you've been reminded of that during this time as maybe you've gone without some things you'd normally uh, have, or maybe you've not been able to do some things that you've normally been able to do through all of this time. And whether times get really good after all this, no matter what it is, God is good and God is with us and God cares for us and God provides for us and we have everything we need. I don't know about you, but I get frustrated when I don't get what I want sometimes, just like a little baby. You know, I, I don't want to get what I want. I get fussy. I get upset. I complain, and I get frustrated. And when I do that, it's because I'm not trusting God. And it's the same for you. When we get acting like that, it's because we've taken our eyes off of the God who is good, and we've got our eyes on our circumstances and on ourselves 
and we say, well, it'd be better if I had this. No, it's exactly how God has planned it, and He is always good. God is always good. I'm thankful to be able to take God's Word that has the truth that we need for every single day of life. Whether it's a day with no virus or a day when the entire world is shut down, we still have God's Word. God cared enough to take His Word and to write it down for us to inspire it so people could read it and The more recent ones you can go back and watch and uh, be able to catch up with us because this book of the Bible was inspired for a reason. God has it for a purpose for us today, right now, for this hour. And we want to look to His Word together this morning. Before we do that, would you join me in prayer? Let's go to the Lord this morning. Our Father, I'm thankful for all the mothers today that we're celebrating. I'm thankful for my mother, my grandmothers, for my wife, who's the mother of my children. Lord, for all the mothers represented here in person and online. But Lord, even the fact that we have mothers is a gift from you. So we praise you today. Thankful that we can worship you in song this morning, singing how great thou art. Lord, I'm thankful for your care for your saints. I think of my dear brother, Dan Garlick, who, Lord, has only been given a, a few days to live and has been not even sure he'd wake up each morning. And, Lord, you've preserved him this far, but, Lord, you may take him home today. Lord, I'm thank you, thankful for your goodness to him and your goodness to us in allowing him to be here during our missions conference this year. I pray for his ministry that you'd continue to carry it forward. Because we know that this ministry is bigger than he is and you'll carry it forward. Just like the Rise Baptist Church is bigger than any one of us and you'll carry it forward, Lord, because it's your church. We are your people. Lord, I pray for many today who are sick, those who are out of work. I think especially of my brother Simon Peter today who's in Uganda. Lord has been separated from his family now for almost three months. Lord, I pray that you'd bring him back safely to us even this week. Thank you for the provision that you've made already to seem to be bringing him this way. And Lord, we just look forward to you completing the work that you've already begun and reuniting this family. Lord, I pray for those today who are doing jobs and working in places that they didn't expect to be in even a, a few months ago. But Lord, protect them and provide for their needs. Lord, I pray for the children and young people who won't have their graduations and things are not normal about their school situation. I pray that even during this that you would encourage parents and, and the people around them to point these young people towards you. I pray for our church that we would be a light in this dark world. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to die on the cross for our sin. Thank you for our salvation. Lord, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you, has never trusted in Christ for salvation, I pray that they would do that today. Lord, for the believers here today, encourage them, help them. Draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Colossians chapter 
3, we started out in verse 1 on Easter Sunday looking at that truth. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And really, truly, we are gathered here today on a Sunday because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Christ be not raised, the Apostle Paul said, then we are of all men most miserable. We would have nothing to rejoice about today, nothing to worship about today if Christ be not raised. And I'm thankful that He's risen from the dead. And because He's risen from the dead, He tells us that we are to seek those things above, that there are things we need to be putting off, taking out of our life and putting off those old ways of the old man, the the grave clothes, the ways of sin and all the sinful thoughts and actions and attitudes. But it doesn't stop there. Sometimes in the Christian life we think, well, it's just a bunch of a list of things that I can't do anymore. No, that's not what the Christian life is all about. No, the Christian life is about a relationship with God. And sure, when you're in a relationship with somebody else and it's an exclusive relationship, there are certain things you don't do anymore. But there are all kinds of things that you get to do now that you're in that relationship. And in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, there are so many wonderful things that He's told us to put on. To put on. And He finishes that list in Colossians chapter 3 of things that we're to put on. And He says, and above all, put on charity, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. What holds it all together is love. Our love for God, our love for one another, and we ought to be characterized by love because God is love. But then there's a transition in chapter 3 as he moves from speaking just about the individual responsibility of what we are to be doing because Jesus is risen, right? We're putting off certain things and putting on others. Then he moves not just to the individual, he begins to speak to the church body as a whole. Because the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. That's why we've missed gathering together as a church so much. Because God never intended you to live your Christian life by yourself. You say, well, I have God. Yes, but God also wants you to live it in community with other believers. You're part of a body. You see the picture on the screen here, this body of Christ represented by this silhouette of a body made up with all these different gears and pieces all fitting together. Why? Because every single person who's a believer is part of the body of Christ. And when you take a body part and you set it off by itself, it doesn't function very well. If you chopped your arm off and laid it on the table, I know that's kind of a gruesome thought, but just laid it over there by itself, it wouldn't function like it should. That arm works best when it's fully attached to the shoulder and connected to the body with the tissues and the neurons and synapses so it all works together like it should with the muscles and joints and and behaves and works to perform what it was intended to do. So too, as part of the body of Christ, every member is important and every member must fit together and work together for the glory of God and the ministry of one another. And here in Colossians chapter 3, we saw that transition beginning last week as he says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. He uses a lot of different illustrations to help us understand these concepts here in Colossians chapter 3. He starts with the concept of putting things off, taking off old dirty clothes. 
moves into the, the illustration of putting on clean clothes of, of new robes because of a new way of living and then letting peace rule in your heart. We talked about this last Sunday, how God's peace is like an umpire or a referee that rules, that directs, that guides how our heart thinks and behaves. And in, chapter, in verse 16, we get to the next one of what it should look like living together in the body of Christ. Not only should God's peace rule your heart, but also God's word must be dwelling in you richly. Look at verse 16 with me. The Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The title this morning is very simple. Life together in the body of Christ, God's Word, the Word of Christ dwelling in. As you look at verse number 16, there is a primary command that we see in this verse, a primary command, and that is the command to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That verb that's translated let is to allow, to allow something to take place, and it is in the imperative tense. In other words, it is a, an absolute command. You must do this. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. But I think to best understand this verse, we need to break down and understand some of the concepts that are going on here. So what is the Word of Christ? The Word of Christ. The Logos of Christ. This is who He is. This is the message of Christ. This is what He brought to the world. What was the message that Jesus Christ brought? Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. See, the, the religious leaders of His day, the, the cultural thought of the day was that Jesus maybe came to overthrow the Romans. No, Jesus didn't come to overthrow the Romans. He came to overthrow sin in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls to turn people away from just religion and bring them into a relationship with an almighty God and a perfect heavenly Father. The Word of Christ is the, the gospel of Christ. It is the message that Jesus came to share. The Word of Christ, the good news of Christ the gospel is salvation from sin, but it is also salvation to new life in Christ. It's not just about what we put off. We already looked at that. It's also about what we can put on in Christ to be able to live for Him. Don't shortchange the gospel. I think sometimes people have been saved a long time think, well, yeah, I'm excited about the gospel. I'm excited about what it can do for somebody else. No, as a believer, we ought to be excited about the gospel every day because it's not just about saving people from sin. It's about giving them new life in Christ. So it's putting off one thing and putting on something else and being able to live for the Lord each and every day. 
Yes, the gospel is very simple that Jesus Christ came to save sinners and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But being saved isn't just your fire insurance. It's not just your get out of hell free card. It's about living for the Lord in obedience to Him and walking in faithfulness with Him forever and then experiencing the full outworking of that salvation someday when we spend eternity with Christ in heaven. See, the gospel changes everything about your life. It doesn't just change about where you were. It changes you about where you're going. And it changes you about what you're doing even today. That's why he says here to let, and this is a command, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So what does it mean to dwell in you richly? If the word of Christ is the message of Jesus Christ and really that's brought about in everything that he taught and ultimately we see that as the whole word of God, right? Because it all points towards Jesus. It all points to glorify God by sharing the message of the gospel with the world. That's really the story from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's bringing glory to God by pointing out his character in this world and bringing lost sinners to salvation. So if that's what the gospel of Christ is, then how do we let it dwell in us richly? Or what does it mean to dwell in you richly? Well, I I thought of three or four different things here, three things of what that looks like in your life. Well, first of all, when the word of Christ dwells in you richly, it changes your thoughts, your emotions, and your actions. Why? Because it dwells with you. To dwell with somebody is not just to visit for a short time. It's to move in. Like taking over the house kind of moving in. When someone comes over for dinner, you might clean up the house. You might throw some things in the closet and Shove the door closed. You might go wipe up the counters real quick and sweep the floor. You might make a nice dinner for them. You make a special meal and special preparations. But when someone comes over for dinner, it doesn't generally change your life. But when somebody moves in, it changes your life. There's a difference between coming over for a visit and dwelling with somebody. This idea to dwell is to take up residence, to move in completely. Having someone over for dinner is a kind gesture. Having somebody move in with you is being willing to give up yourself for somebody else. All the mothers know what I'm talking about. See, this is not just giving Jesus a small place in your life, but allowing God's Word, the gospel, to change everything about you. Dwell with you. So I think there are a lot of Christians who like the Word for certain things in their life. You know, they'll let it come have a, a certain place in their life. You can take over this area of my life. I'll, I'll follow God's word in these 
areas. But over here, this is kind of my personal area. This is my closet, and it's off limits to everybody else. There's a locked door here, and I don't let this portion of my life be affected by God's Word over here in this portion of my life. If we live like that, that's not allowing God's Word to dwell in us richly. It'd be like one of these children. We have It's fun having all the kids in here. I know it's a little different for them. But it'd be like one of them if their mom said, I need you to go clean your room, right? And I want you to dust all of the window sills, and I want you to clean out under your bed. Oh, that's a terrible thing, isn't it, when your mom tells you to clean out under your bed? I mean, there's like cracker crumbs and granola bar wrappers and, you know, batteries and all those missing socks and all that stuff under your bed, right? It's, a, it's just an amazing place under your bed. And if they're really little ones, like our smallest, that under the bed is like a special hidey hole play place. You know, there's stuffed animals jammed up under there and, and there's clothes and you're like, that's what the smell in this room is. You know, you had to dig all that stuff that got jammed way up under the bed. In fact, when I built a new bed for my daughter's room, I, I built a frame for the bed and I, decided, I wanted to make storage under the bed, but I wanted it to be where you couldn't just stick stuff way under. So I made these nice cubby hole storage things that you can put baskets and slide them in and out, but the whole middle of the bed is completely sealed off. There's no way to get to it unless you take the mattress off and the, whole, and the box spring and everything else. Then there's a special storage place in the middle, but I did that on purpose. Why? Because we didn't want stuff jammed up under the bed that we couldn't get to. Because it's one thing to send your five-year-old under the bed to get those things. It's another thing for your full-grown adult to try to crawl under a bed. Any of you tried to do that lately? It's hard, okay? It's getting harder for me all the time, you know? I remember when I was Sean's age, I could just slip right under the bed and like, no big deal, and, and climb out, and it was kind of a fun place to hang out. I don't even fit under the bed anymore, Sean. I like get stuck about right here. I'm in there with a broomstick trying to get those things, get them out, right? All right, so back to the point, right? So if we send a child to go clean their room, and mom comes in to check, and she says, did you clean your room? And, and the little boy says, sure, mom, come look. And, and the floor is clean, and the bed's made, and even the bed's cleaned out underneath. She says, wow, this is amazing. How'd you do it this fast? And she notices something sticking under the closet door, and she goes and turns the handle, and the door opens. It's like he's installed some sort of device to just open it automatically, and it just kind of explodes out into the room. That wouldn't be very good. It wouldn't be all the way clean. We would have left part of the room out and we wouldn't clean that part. See, that's not what he's talking about here in the Word of God when he says that God's Word dwells in us richly. To dwell in you richly means it ought to change every portion of your life, even those dirty closets and the places under the bed and the places that no one else sees. You know, when people come over to visit your house, you always have those rooms you just kind of close and you clean up the main part and you close off everything else. That's not what Jesus wants to do in your life. He died for all of you. And He wants all of you. Dwell in you richly. 
You say, that sounds painful. I know, cleaning closets is hard. Crawling under the bed is tough. Getting down and scrubbing baseboards, nobody wants to do that. There's going to be somebody who says, I like doing that. Okay. You can come clean mine. <laughs> there are certain things in a house we prefer not to clean. Because it's, we, we get all the big stuff done, but there's always those areas that get left for later. But when God comes into your life, he, he wants to be the ruler of your whole life. He wants all of it. And He says that we are to let, this is a command from Him, this isn't optional, this isn't just if we feel good, this is like mom coming in and say, you must do this, right? And God says, you must let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, richly. You see, when the Word of Christ dwells in you richly, it changes your thoughts, it changes your emotions, it changes your actions. When the Word of Christ dwells in you richly, it changes you from the inside out. That's why he says, in you. You see, there's a lot of times we can sort of let the Word of Christ dwell around us richly. You know, I, I came to church and I got excited and it was fun. I put on my nice clothes and I dressed up. I, I did all the things I was supposed to do. I, I even smiled really nice with my mom in her picture for Mother's Day. Right? I, I called her. I did all this outward stuff, right? And we, we maybe let the Word of Christ dwell around us. We're, we're around it. We're, we're hearing it. We might even read our Bible. We might even, you know, spend some time doing some good things. Folks, a true relationship comes from the inside out. Because if it's just on the outside, it'll pass away. The beauty of the outside fades, doesn't it? You see a couple that's been married for many, many years, and you look at their wedding picture, you look at them now, you say, they've, they've changed, they look different. Isn't it amazing how sometimes they look more like each other now? Their facial expression, just all these things. Well, what happened? They've spent so much time with one another that they've just become very much alike. They, they know what each other's thinking. They, they can finish each other's sentences. They can say, you know, they, they just kind of make a little gesture or something and the other knows what they're talking about. How does this happen? Because they've just spent so much time together. They went from two people and they became one flesh. Yes, at the wedding time when the, when the preacher gave them their vows and they made their vows, that's the moment when it was declared that they were one flesh. But the process of becoming one flesh takes a long, long time, doesn't it? Just like when you got saved, you were saved, you were forgiven, your sins were washed away, they were put under the blood and they were made whiter than snow as far as the east is from the west. But living in the reality of your salvation... Allowing it to change you from the inside out, that takes time, doesn't it? Old habits die hard, don't they? There's some adults in here that know what I'm talking about. When you have those habits, just what you've done, it's how you've lived, it's hard to go back and change those things. We went up yesterday and visited my friend and mentor, Pastor Clayton. Pray for him and his wife. His son passed away on Monday this past week. 
And uh, they buried him on Friday. Had to preach his son's funeral. This is his second son that has passed away. Very difficult time for them. Um, but we had a, a really nice time fellowshipping with them, visiting with them. And, and Carissa was excited. She's almost as tall as Mrs. Clayton now. So, Mrs. Clayton is the first adult in the world that our children pass. And so they get excited about that. They're growing up and getting big. We just had a fun time fellowshipping with them. Pastor Clayton was laughing about, you know, having to do church online. He said, I'm sure I'm glad I didn't have to do that. He said, I don't even know how to turn on a computer. And I said, well, you do work your cell phone pretty well, though, because I can call him and he'll pick up his phone and answer. And he's figured that out. And he said, well, I guess you can teach an old dog new tricks, you know. It's hard when you've lived a long time and you've lived a certain way to change. But God's word here says we need to be changed from the inside out. So how do we do that? We must let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That means I'm memorizing, I'm, I'm meditating, I'm working on it, I'm having other people accountable to keep me right with the word and following in it. I've got to hear it and listen to it, but I've got to allow it to work into my heart and allow God to change me. When God's word dwells in you richly, it changes you from the inside out. And I would say, thirdly, when the Word of Christ dwells in you richly, it changes you completely. That's why he uses the word richly. This is abundantly, com completely, just all the way, just like pouring it out all over your life. Don't you love when you meet somebody and you think, wow, this is a really great person. They have their life together. Things look great. And then you begin to ask them their story of where they came from. And you find out that their life wasn't always like it is right now. And then you hear their testimony of when they got saved and where God took them from old ways and put them on new paths. And He helped them to take off the old man and to put on the new man and to change from old sinful ways and begin to walk in righteousness and obedience. As believers, we ought to all have that story, shouldn't we? Now, I know some of you weren't saved out of a life of crime other than maybe stealing cookies out of the cookie jar. Maybe some of you never robbed a bank, never killed anybody. But we need to be honest about the fact that sin is sin. And we can tend to think about things like, well, I never did anything that bad. My closet's not as dirty as his closet. And quit comparing ourselves to other people and realize that when God forgives sin, He's forgiven it all. And it's a blessing to be forgiven. Because even one sin separates from God. There is none righteous, no, not one. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. So before we start comparing your closet with my closet or what it looks under your bed to what it looks like under my bed, let's all be thankful that God has forgiven us and let's be humble. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It changes everything about you. It changes you from the inside out. It changes you completely. But as you continue on in the verse, we see there are some responses, some things that ought to be true in our life as God's word dwells in us richly, as we are changed to be more like Jesus Christ. We see the proper response. So the primary command, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The proper response, teaching and admonishing one another. 
Oh, and he says this is in all wisdom. So as we're growing in our walk with the Lord, we gain wisdom and we teach and admonish one another. God's Word produces wisdom in our lives that should be taught to others. Teaching and admonishing. These are two different verbs here, commands, participles. If you're a Greek scholar, you know what I'm talking about. But these are dependent on the first one, in other words. You, you can't teach and admonish others in the Word of God, in wisdom, until you first allowed God's or the Word of Christ to dwell in you richly. Think about how foolish it would be. And there are many preachers that try to get up and tell people what God's Word says without taking time to study it themselves. That'd be foolish, wouldn't it? It'd be impossible. They might say some nice words, but if God's Word isn't changing them, it's really doubtful whether they're going to be able to teach and admonish somebody else in a way that will truly bring lasting change in their lives. There have been many people turned away from the faith by pastors, preachers, spiritual leaders, even parents who have said, do this, this is right, this is what the Word of God says, and then they themselves go off and do something opposite to what the Bible says. And what often happens to their children? What often happens to the young people in their church? They say, if it's not real for them, then it's not going to be real for me. And they go and live their own life however they're going to live it. Why do they forsake it? Because the person teaching it didn't allow, it to, didn't allow the Word of Christ to dwell in them richly. So it's dependent on the first one. We must allow the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly. And when we do that, it's evidenced by our beginning to teach others the truth. This teaching is the orderly arrangement of truth and the effective communication of it. Teaching is one of the spiritual gifts that Paul mentions in Romans 12, 7, and it's closely associated with the role of the pastor in Ephesians 4, 11. But teaching is not reserved for the pastor. You say, well, how do you know that? Because here in Colossians 3.16, he's not speaking to pastors. He's speaking to the whole church. He says, admonishing one another. This means, as a pastor, I have a responsibility to teach and to admonish. But so do you. That's why it's... Wonderful, we have a number of different teachers in our church teaching Sunday school lessons and teaching things to the children and to the adults and to the teenagers. That's wonderful. But you know, it doesn't even stop there. This is to every believer. Every believer has a responsibility to be teaching the truth to others. Just the same as every believer has a responsibility to share the gospel with others. That's not a job that's just reserved for the staff of the church or the spiritual leaders in the church. That's a job that's been given to all believers. Every part of the body of Christ is to be witnessing, is to be teaching. That goes right along with what we look at as the idea of making disciples, right? Everyone, last year we talked about this, lead one, follow one. Take one, right? 
We all have responsibility to teach. Your ability to teach others, I would say, is dependent on whether or not you are letting God's Word dwell in you richly or not. You won't be able to teach others well if God's Word isn't changing you, if you haven't let the gospel change you. Your message will be contrary to your lifestyle, won't it? He says we are to be teaching one another. And then he says, and admonishing. God's Word produces wisdom that should be taught to others, but God's Word also should produce wisdom that admonishes others. Say, what does that mean? Well, admonishment is different from teaching. Admonishing has the element of strong encouragement. It is generally practical and moral rather than abstract or theological. Sometimes you hear a teacher and you say, wow, they, they really explained a lot of things to me. That was really interesting. Now a lot of that makes sense. Teaching is a wonderful thing and we need good Bible teaching. But it doesn't stop there. We also need to be admonished. This is taking that abstract, maybe theological truth and applying it directly to our lives right where we live right now. And then exhorting somebody else, encouraging, challenging somebody else to live as God wants them to live. That's why when we come to church, you don't just hear a Bible lesson. Bible lessons are wonderful. But if we're not challenged to go out and live that lesson, to go out and live out that truth, to walk in obedience, then we've only come part way. At the same time, admonishment without good biblical teaching doesn't work very well either. We all feel challenged, but we don't know what we're challenged to do. And we may not really understand why we're challenged to do it. Both are important. One without the other leaves people sorely lacking. So, somebody who is allowing the Word of Christ to dwell in them richly will be, or should be at least, teaching and admonishing one another. And then he carries on in the verse to tell us what the primary vehicle of this teaching and admonishment should be. He says that we should do it in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, to me, as I'm studying through this passage... That's not really the first place I'm thinking that, that it would go, right? If we just kind of remove ourselves from our, our Bible knowledge that we already had and, you know, that we maybe you'd already heard this verse before and it already seemed familiar to you, wouldn't you think you would say teaching and admonishing in sermons and Sunday school lessons and, you know, Bible studies with your friends? That's not what he says here. He says songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. We've got to be careful that as Christians, we don't relegate our music to a position that God doesn't want it to be in. And here, notice, it's very important. He's not just talking about what the music sounds like. He really spends a lot more time on the substance of the lyric, of the substance of the words of the song. 
Why? Because he's coming from the Word of Christ. So the Word of Christ dwells in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. How are we going to teach them the Word of Christ? We do it through songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. So follow with me. Have you ever thought about this? That your singing teaches others what you know about God and demonstrates to others your response to the things of God. I was really encouraged by this comment that somebody made to me several years ago. We were moving from Indiana back here to Houston, coming here to start a rise. And one of the ladies in our church in Indiana said to me, because I had the opportunity to lead all of the music up there, and I miss doing that. I wish I could do that here, but there's only so many things that you can do, and I'm thankful for those who are doing such a good job here and continuing to develop that and grow that and all those things. But I really enjoyed leading that part of a service. It was enjoyable. It was fun. It was a wonderful opportunity to see people singing together and teach new songs and do all those things. Well, one lady said to me, she said, thank you so much for encouraging us to sing. Because I never used to sing very loud because I didn't think that anybody wanted to hear me. And I told her, it's not so much about what you sound like. It's about what you are singing, about what's coming out of your heart. See, singing is a response to truth, or it should be. It shouldn't have to be contrived, made up. Yes, there are ways you can study to sing better. I get that. You, you can learn how to sing in tune, and that's pleasant. You can learn even how to sing a part, and that's nice. You might even learn how to play an instrument. But we must be very careful that church never becomes about coming to watch some other people perform music that I just like listening to. This isn't time to just sit and listen to the radio. That's one of the reasons that I believe it's very important that as we are able, we're working to come back together as a church in person. I can't hear you singing at your house. You say, you don't want to hear me sing. Well, according to the Bible, I do. Why? Because you have the most beautiful voice in the world because we're going to record you and put on CD? No. Because you're singing ought to be communicating wisdom from God's Word because the Word of Christ is dwelling in you richly. That's a lot to think about, isn't it? Because there's a lot of reasons we don't sing sometimes, right? Some church, well, a little scratchy in my voice this morning. Well, I'm not, I, I, this isn't really my favorite style of song. Well, we can come with all kinds of reasons not to sing, can't we? That's not any of the things that he's talking about here. Our song ought to be for the purpose of communicating truth 
to others. Now, we understand from the New Testament and the Old Testament that music is also for worship and praise of God. Don't miss the point here. That's not, I'm not taking away from that at all. But as we worship and praise God, that ought to also teach and admonish our fellow believers. Because as you see me worship God, and as I see you worship God, it ought to encourage me and challenge me with the truth of God's Word. God's Word, the Word of Christ dwelling in us richly, ought to grow us in wisdom so that we can teach and admonish others through songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. So we've seen the primary command, that is to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. We've then seen the proper response to that, that in wisdom we are teaching and admonishing others. But I want you to see finally this morning the passionate refrain the passionate song to the Lord in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. First of all, notice the importance of what you sing. What you sing. Because we like to jump to the how we sing. We like to jump to, you know, what it sounds like, what we sing, all these other things. But I'm talking about the substance of what we're singing about. So what are we supposed to be singing He says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There have been lots of things written on what psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are referring to. We know for sure that psalms are referring to Scripture set to music, right? We have an entire songbook or hymnal in our Old Testament called the Book of Psalms. And I'm thankful as I was growing up, I had teachers that would teach me Scripture songs. Maybe you know this one. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired than gold are they, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Let's see, how about this one? For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son to die on Calvary's tree, from sin to set me free. Someday He's coming back, what glory that will be, wonderful His love to me. We could think of many psalms, some from the Old Testament, some from the New, some that have taken God's words in other places and put them to music. Why? As the Word of Christ dwells in us richly, it ought to come out in our song. And it begins with what we sing. We ought to be singing Scripture, singing the Word of God. Now, the debate often comes about, well, what are the hymns and spiritual songs? Is hymns what in a hymnal and spiritual song? The word hymns only used twice in the New Testament and the other places in the book of Ephesians that parallels this one here in Colossians. And so the idea is simple. We, we often think, though, as hymns as songs of praise and worship to God. And spiritual songs have often been defined as those songs that speak spiritual truth but exhort somebody else with that truth. Sing it to somebody else. 
See, it's so important what we sing. Whatever you, way you look at those three words, we can say with certainty that every type of song we sing must be full of the truth of the Word of God. That's why we should sing what we sing in church. If it's not full of God's truth, if it's not full of the Word of Christ, if it's not full of the gospel, if it's not full of our hope that's in Jesus, we can sing it maybe somewhere else, but that's not what we should be singing one to another in church. You see, the songs that we sing must communicate God's truth in a way that teaches us and admonishes us of who we are living for and what we should be doing for Christ. Let us not be caught up singing songs that are not full of the Scripture, full of the truth, full of the Word of God. Why? Because the songs we sing at church aren't ultimately about what pleases you and pleases me. It's about what pleases God. We must please God with the content of our singing. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Notice, secondly, though, not only the importance of the content of what you're singing, but also the importance of how you sing. How you sing. He says here at the end of the verse, verse 16, singing, he tells us how we do it, with grace in your hearts to the Lord. How you sing, singing with grace in your hearts. Our song must be full of God's truth, but it must be in realization of that truth in our lives. You could stand up and, and sing truth, right? But if that truth does not produce grace in your heart, then you're not singing the right way at all. Can you imagine standing and singing? I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. Right? You're just sinking away. But when love has lifted you, you're excited to sing about it. There's grace in your heart to the Lord. Until you've experienced God's grace in your life, singing amazing grace won't do much for you. Until you've experienced the presence of God, singing nearer, still nearer, won't mean very much. Until you've considered the wonders of God and His creation, singing how great thou art, is pretty empty. Until you've been through times of pain, darkness, and uncertainty, and walked with the Lord, singing day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. Hmm. The importance of how you sing, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This is a singing out of a response of what God has done in my life. Oh, we could go on a long time this morning talking about 
music because it's such an important part. But I want to keep us really focused here in Colossians 3 because remember, all this is coming out of the fact that we've been risen with Christ. And if you've been risen with Christ, you ought to be putting off those old things, putting on the new things. You ought to have the peace of God ruling in your heart. And then let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's important what we sing. It's important how we sing. But you notice the last three words of verse 16. The importance of who you're singing to. To the Lord. the Lord. See the excuse that, well, I'm not a very good singer. You're not singing to yourself. You're not singing ultimately to me. You're singing to the Lord. But as I get to listen to you sing to the Lord, boy, it encourages my heart because I say, wow, look what God's doing in their life. Boy, look what God's been teaching them. Boy, look how God's changed them. They couldn't sing with a smile before, but look at the joy of the Lord on their face because they've been changed from the inside out and they're a new creature in Christ and now they're singing. And, and I remember when that person got saved and I remember when they got baptized and now to hear them singing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Boy, that gets me excited and fired up. Or then to hear the songs of the missionary who comes off the field and talks about seeing God save souls and God provide for needs in very unique situations and hearing how God is good, even in difficult times, and God provides for their needs. And I come away, I say, I'm so encouraged. Why? Because they're singing to the Lord, but they're encouraging me at the same time. And don't you get encouraged? I got encouraged a couple Wednesday nights ago when... Uh, Ashley's boys and a couple of my boys came up here and sang, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. It's so easy for us, as Christians especially, to be really caught up with, well, I don't like that song because so-and-so sings it, or I'm not sure about this because of where it came from, or what about this? And believe me, I'm not trying to minimize that those things don't matter at all. But I believe if we start with the content of what we're singing, that it ought to be full of God's truth. We've got to get things in the right order. And we, we like to take the things that are less important and make them more important, and we sort of skip over the things that really matter. We start with the Word of Christ dwelling in us richly. Our singing is full of wisdom in the Word of God in response to what God has done for us, singing with grace in our heart. 
the person that we're singing to. I'm not singing just so that you'll like what I sing. I'm not just singing just so you'll come hear me sing. No, I'm singing to the Lord. When we get those things in proper order, that other stuff begins to fall into place pretty clearly. Because if you take any song and you begin to run it through this filter, is it full of God's truth? That cuts out a lot of songs right there. Just don't even have to worry about that. And then as I'm singing this song, am I responding to God's truth? Or am I just singing because I want everybody else to see me sing? Well, that cuts out a lot of people performing songs. And then as I move to singing to the Lord, I think it should change how we come into church and sing on Sundays, don't you? I know Billy spends a lot of time doing this. I used to spend a lot of time doing this, picking the songs out that you even sing on Sunday. I'm thankful that he doesn't just come up on Sunday morning and just kind of open up a book and, well, let's sing this one today. Why? Because our song is a response to what God has done for us. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. He's talking about the body of Christ here. The body of Christ ought to have the peace of God ruling it. And it ought to have the Word of Christ dwelling richly. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, this starts to get into things that people feel very passionate about. And I understand music is a very personal thing and a very special thing that many people enjoy and have strong opinions about. But help us understand this verse is not primarily about music. This verse is primarily about our heart's response to the word of Christ. Lord, may we start by examining our hearts before you. Say, Lord, search me, know me, try my heart, know my thoughts. Lord, make sure that I am living like I should for you. Lord, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, may they trust you today. And for those that know you, may they walk in obedience. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.